0: church and um i've spent most of the first years of my ministry praying that it wouldn't rain on sunday morning and uh and then i realized what i was doing was wrong and started praying for christians that weren't afraid of rain that's what uh yeah. and so those of you that are here so glad you're here those of you that are joining us online welcome uh I, I do have to say something about that last song to all of you all that are joining us from our orphanage in india um that is my mission trip song that was a song that i listened to the entire time i was on my last mission trip to india every time i th- hear that song i think about you guys i think about the kids i think about everything about how much you guys mean to me and i love you so uh just letting you guys know yeah yeah <laughs> you guys uh, how, uh, that, that's just that's just my mission trip song that's that's the one that gets me fired up for for uh, all the work that we're doing in the world let's uh Um, Today we're starting a brand new series. Um, We're starting a series called The Opposition Within. Um, All of us have things that are going on in here that we're gonna have to overcome. Remember, the the year-long theme is the adventure, and so there are things stopping us from within that we're gonna have to deal with. It was called The Opposition Within, and, and today we're talking about guilt all right, that is, the one, that is one of the main things that is stopping us. And the main thing today is guilt puts us in a creditor-debtor relationship with both God and other people. And so I want you guys to get a hold of that and think about this for a little bit. Um, I made the mistake of logging onto Twitter yesterday. <clears throat> I hadn't logged in for a while for good reasons, like touching a, an electrified fence. I haven't done that in a while either. And sometimes I just forget and I, t- and I realize why I did it. That's what logging onto Twitter is like. And um, one thing just kept repeatedly popping up on my feed, and it was a theme. It was people shouting at each other or hitting someone else, statement after statement after statement, and, and it was all this conflict. And tweet after tweet after tweet, video after video, statement after statement, all said the same thing, and I'm hearing more and more of it, and that is this: it all boiled down to one thing. My problems are outside of me. All right, all all I heard was accusation, 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 accusation. That's all Twitter is, it seems like. That's all our mainstream media is. And I saw this one video of a group of people in an argument. That's not, it, it. It was really strange, but and this this late teenage girl. <clears throat> She wasn't arguing. She was shouting. She was saying, I was actually thinking about playing it, but because of the language, I couldn't. And she was, I don't give an F. You know, you're a hater. You're a racist. You're this, you're that. And, and, and the person she was yelling at, who was filming, was trying to talk to her. She was asking. The person was asking why she was out in the street, why she was there. It seemed like a legitimate question, but the girl responded by yelling even more. And everything the girl yelled about was something outside of her Uh, she yelled about the police she yelled about what was wrong with the person talking to her she yelled about inequality she yelled she 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 yelled about everything that was wrong in the world that she saw and our cultural worldview is shifting that way as i was watching this video i realized that this late teenage girl was showing us an extreme way of course what the where the worldview of our society the problems are out there Every issue I have, every problem I have, every thing that is wrong is the result of someone else. Problems are caused by forces outside your control. Someone else is responsible for your misery. Someone else is responsible for your problems. Someone else is responsible for your issues. <clears throat> Judeo- Judeo-Christian worldview, on the other hand, the one this country was founded on, has a radically different starting point. Our, our, our country was founded on the Judeo-Christian worldview. And it says that you are the starting point. <clears throat> you are the starting point for your problems, for your troubles. Genesis 3 tells us that when sin entered the world, that our hearts were corrupted beyond repair, we, there's nothing we could do uh, inside of us to fix ourselves. That's why we needed Jesus Christ to come in and, and redeem us. We needed his sacrifice. That's what the Judeo-Christian worldview says, that we look inside. Um, <clears throat> in a, in a, uh, record, one recorded instance, when the New York Times asked the question, what's wrong with the world? The renowned pastor and, and author G.K. Chesterton wrote back, Dear sirs, in regard to your question, what's wrong with the world? I am sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. See, um, it says that the only person you can truly change is yourself. You need to look into yourself. That's what the Judeo-Christian worldview says. And that's why we're seeing so much conflict, because we have that worldview contrasting up against the other one that says everything that is wrong in the world with you is outside of you. It's caused by someone else, and you're a victim of forces beyond your control. the full expression of the judeo-christian worldview what's wrong with the world i am what's wrong with my life i am what's wrong with my family i am what's wrong with my place of work i am and the judeo-christian worldview says we have to look first within ourselves. we aren't to blame forces or society or this or that for issues that we have there are issues to be sure i'm not minimizing the fact there are issues in the world there are i'm not minimizing that at all I'm not discounting the presence of issues and problems in the world today. The Judeo-Christian worldview doesn't dismiss it either. The church, as a matter of fact, the most effective organization in the world to counteract the issues that we see in the world, right? But as I watched this person, this poor girl, rant and rave about problems and shout and holler and accuse everyone around her of everything that was wrong, I began to feel sorry for her because I saw what was an exercise in futility. He call names and shout and scream, and nothing would change. And tomorrow she'll wake up and holler and yell and scream, and nothing will change. Because she's doing nothing at the end of the day. Will accomplish anything. And guys, I see this all the time. How many of us spend our time and energy focusing on how broken everyone else is around us? How everyone else is wrong, how everyone else is the issue. How everyone else is causing the problems. How many of us complain about our spouses? Yet, have, you haven't been the greatest spouse. Would you, be enjoy, would you enjoy being married to you? How many of us complain about the boss or the co-workers? Yet, by your own admission, you haven't been the greatest employee, the greatest co-worker. How would you like to work with you? Someone said those who want to change the world can start by cleaning their own rooms. And a person that's not willing to clean their own room won't be very good at changing the world. <clears throat> so if we want to change the world, start at the most basic level, the place where we can actually affect the most change, which is ourselves. Let's not live like that, lives like that poor girl, accusing others and yelling about outside forces, because that's just an exercise in futility. Let's start by looking at ourselves, okay? Let's look at ourselves. That's what the purpose of this series is, is to look at ourselves, the opposition within Okay? Here, I'm going to make a strange statement. I'm going to explain it to you. You are basically a tree. You are. I'm not talking about the kind, uh, like, in the school play where they, you know, they they give the no-talent people that hey, you just be a tree. That's the only part I could ever get. Hey, Kibler, you be a tree. You know, stand there. I'm not talking about that. Okay? I'm talking about the biblical statement that Jesus makes about us. He says this in Matthew 12, 33 through 35, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored in him, and an evil man brings the evil things out of the evil stored up in him. <clears throat> You're basically a tree, the Bible says, now when I was a kid, we had an apple pear and a, and a, and a, a apple tree and a pear tree in the yard. It was my job to mow it. We had about an acre backyard. Uh, and fortunately, <clears throat> my dad got a riding mower for us and probably grumbled the whole way. It's was like, "Wow, I was a kid, we had to push it with a push. How many of you all actually had a push mower? I'm not talking the kind you start. I'm talking the kind you had to push. And, and how many of you all had those? You know, had those? Yeah, Yeah. she's raising her hand. That's awesome. Yeah, great. Well, your rewards in heaven. You all for having to do that. Um, but I had a riding mower, and one of, the problem was is that when you would run over one of these these apples or these pears, a lot of times it would shoot out of the the mower like a missile. <clears throat> and actually, sometimes I would try to see how far I could get one. I'd see one, I'd and see how far it could go. I always wanted to mow the grass when the Brady kid next door, you know, was hey Kendall, come over here, come here for a second. And, you know, that that. Never hit him, though, he was quick. But it became, I had to be careful, though, because my backyard was the place where everybody played. We played sports, that's all we did. Played soccer, baseball, football, you name it. There was always a game going on in my backyard. And I had to be real careful because these projectiles sometimes would land in the playing field. And many times when we were playing, uh, an ankle would be turned because someone stepped on, a, on, on, a, on, a, on an apple or on a pear. And we had to be very careful. The fruit of those trees became hazardous to the kids who were unfortunate enough to have to deal with it. In the same way, you are basically a tree. The Bible says that, like trees, we produce fruit. Our lives produce it. And whatever's inside of you will grow. See, an apple tree produces apples because it is an apple tree, it doesn't produce pears, right? A pear tree produces. Pears, it doesn't produce apples because of what's inside it. In the same way, a healthy person, a healthy spiritually, a healthy emotionally person will produce fruit that is healthy for the people to see. A toxic person, who because of toxicity, will produce toxic fruit that you have to deal with because of what's going on in here. That's what the Bible says. And like the kids in my backyard, the people around you are gonna have to deal with what your life is producing. The people closest to you. I doubt that an apple tree is aware that it's producing apples in the same way. A healthy person is not aware they're producing healthy fruit. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentle self-control. Probably is not aware they're producing those things because it's just the natural outflow of their heart. In the same way, a toxic person is probably not aware of the toxic fruit their life is producing. Anger, bitterness, rage, uh, backbiting, gossip, uh, judgmentalism, these kind of things. And if you have those things in your heart, envy and discord and bitterness, and if you have those things in your heart, it's only a matter of time before it starts being produced on you and the people around you are going to have to deal with it. Okay? And what our society has done is to blame. Instead of looking at the heart and saying, you know what, I I am a toxic person I have issues. Instead of doing that, our society's conditioned people to say, well, it's the result of X, Y, Z. It's your parents' fault. It's your boss's fault. It's your spouse's fault. It's the media's fault. It's everybody's fault but yours. And one of the most, most toxic things we have flowing around in here is a thing called guilt. Now, guilt is... Is is basically a a where you have incurred a debt. You have done something that is wrong. You've done something to hurt someone. You've taken something from them their their dignity, their respect, their 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 a possession, uh, whatever it is. You've done something wrong, and now you are in their debt. They are your creditor and you are their debtor okay you have set up a creditor debtor relationship with the person you have wronged okay that's how this works guilt says i owe you i owe you and and i i have hurt you i've i've owed you and and guys the reason this is so toxic there's all, all kinds of stuff that this is so toxic. Everyone deals with it. But the main reason, I see this as a pastor, I see this as a person that is very into the family, very pro-family, I'm very pro-marriage, I'm very pro child if you couldn't tell. Imagine that. You know. Uh, but that, that, is, that is where I live and breathe. And I see guilt destroying that more than anything else. And not because of violence or because of this, uh, anything physical. Guilt more than anything, drives people apart because it makes people hide from one another. It makes people hide from God. It makes people hide from the church. It makes people hide from friends. It makes people hide from family because you feel guilty and you can't face them, therefore you withdraw. And the people that are friends with you, people that go to church with you, people that work with you are, are left wondering what they did. What do we do? He won't text me back. He won't call me back. I never see him anymore. And it hurts the people without even realizing it. Why do people hide when they feel guilty? Well, plain and simple. Because you feel like you're in debt. If someone borrows $100 from me and I say, here you go, pay me back next Friday. And next Friday comes around. He doesn't have 100 bucks. He sees me coming. Is he going to be happy to see me? No. He's going to run the other way because the debt has destroyed our friendship. And that's the same way A lot of you guys, a lot of you ladies are hiding from people. You are. You're hiding from people. You're hiding from relatives. You're hiding from friends. You're hiding from people who you used to go to church with, people that genuinely care about you, and you're hiding from them because you can't face them. And guys, guilt destroys more families, more relationships than any other emotion I've ever seen. My work in the jail, you talk about guilt. Guys that have destroyed their families through addiction, and and, and they're sitting there, they they have guilt on their shoulders, they won't talk to their kids, they won't talk to their exes, they won't talk to, to, because they can't, they can't face them because of the guilt. And guys, I don't know if this is something you're dealing with, everybody is, we have got to have a better way than hiding to deal with guilt. And guys, it's the same, it's wonderful because the Bible tells us exactly how to do. If you are tired of hiding from people, running from person to person, from, from, from your family being torn apart by guilt, from people hiding from each other, I'm glad you're here because we're going to talk about this right now. The, the Bible says the solution for guilt is a thing called confession and a thing called restitution. Restitution. Okay, we're going to get to that in a second, but first, we don't understand confession. That's one thing that I have a problem with in the evangelical churches, the, the, one, the, the ones that, that, are, that are kind of in our brotherhood. Um, we get confession wrong, okay? James 5.16 says this, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. But we don't do that in the church, We don't. Matter of fact, we're taught not to. We're taught that when we sin, when we wrong someone, we simply confess to God, right? Make things right between God and us. What does the Bible say? It says, confess your sins to each other. Hmm. That's a little dangerous. A little scary. I'll tell you why I don't confess to each other. Because... I went one time when I did that, the person was not a person of character, was not a trustworthy person, and went and blabbed it out to people whose who's no business was, and it hurt me professionally and, and personally. So I'm a little wary of doing that, I admit, and probably most of you are too. And however, how are we doing? How are we doing? I'm not knocking confessing to God. For sure, our sin is against Him and His holy nature, but what about the person? What about the person we have wronged? I remember many, many, many years ago in a church that I was in youth ministry about. Um, we had this family that we knew and we loved. We loved them. We, we would play cards with them. We would, we would do all kinds of things together. Uh, they, they had a teenage daughter that babysat my kids. Uh, just great, great, great people. Well, uh, they had some problems with that daughter, and family kind of fell apart. The daughter wound up leaving she she had had some accusations against her parents and and against people in general, and she left and went and stayed with her grandmother for a little while and um, it was a mess and and we uh, we found out through all of this, in the midst of all of this episode, that their daughter had said some terrible things about us, about our kids, about us as a family, it maligned us. they like I said, she babysat our kids. We loved her and the family. Because some of the things she had told people, it, it hurt friendships, it devastated us. Why this awesome girl would, would, would be saying those things about us. And um, this went on for several months. And then she was able to come back and work things out with her family she she admitted that she had lied about everything and 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 it was it was really really bad she came back home and the family acted like nothing had happened they act they just kind of showed back up and we just don't want to talk about it and and I, I was like what what is going on here? You know, you, do you understand the damage that was done here? And, and I remember the mom saying, we've made things right with God. And I said, yes, you haven't made it right with us. And then we were accused for being unforgiving, for being uh, uh, bad people, judgmental, this kind of thing. We went our separate ways and we never... All them again. You can make things right with God. That's not what the Bible says only to do. The Bible says that once we have wronged someone, we must make things right with the person we've wronged. That's a whole nother level. Like I said, the Bible presents a very different vision for confession than our, our shoddy, kind of fake. Well, I want to feel better about myself confession. That's why most of us confess to God, if we were honest is because we, we would all, we, we just kind of like to feel better about ourselves. We're, we're, we're being, we're being uh, eaten up by guilt, so we confess it, so we'll feel better about ourselves, but we really haven't changed anything in the world. Everything is still the same. See, the cure for guilt the cure for guilt is confession and restitution. Look what the Bible says, Numbers 5, 5 through 7. A lot of the Old Testament is something we can, with stuff we can apply in our daily lives. Look what the Bible says to do when you have sinned against someone, when you have wronged someone. Look what the Bible says to do. Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, any man or woman who wrongs another in any way, and so is unfaithful to the Lord is guilty and must confess the sin they have committed. They must make full restitution for the wrong they have done, add a fifth of the value to it, and give it to the person they have wronged. Wow! Do you hear that? So we are first to admit our guilt. Say, listen, we screwed up. We did something wrong. We knew better than this. We must make full restitution and then add 20%. That's what the Bible says to do. Imagine if we were to apply that in our lives today. This isn't, in other words, the Bible says this isn't about feeling better about yourself. Okay, it's not about that. It's about making things right with the person you've wronged, that you've sinned against with interest. All right? God isn't interested in words. God is interested in change. He's more concerned with what's caused you to wrong the person than what actually happened. Okay? See, confession isn't simply a means to feel better about our sin. It's a public step of abandoning it. you You can wrong someone. You can take someone's possession, and then you can ask God's forgiveness. But the thing that's broken inside you that made you steal in the first place is still there. See, if you were to give it back and then add 20%, make a public confession to that person, chances are you're not going to do it again because it's painful. Okay? That's a, that, that is the first step to getting this toxicity out of ourselves, getting this guilt out of ourselves, is to make things right with someone else. See, when people encountered Jesus, it wasn't a light thing. It was never a light thing. Remember Zacchaeus the tax collector, a little song we learned as kids. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? And uh, was he, exactly, what did he do? He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the, all right, you guys went to VBS. I like, can so, yeah, it's great. Right, and as, he, as the Savior passed that way, looked up in the tree, he said, Zacchaeus, you come down because I'm going to your house today. And that's such a great children's song. You understand what was going on in Zacchaeus' mind right there? He was a cheat. He was a scoundrel. He was a thief. And Jesus was coming to his house. This guy was sweating bullets. Believe you me. He was sweating bullets. And, that, and when he met Jesus, Luke 19.8, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. He was a tax collector that had taken way more than than... And he should have. He was despised. He had wronged people his entire life. And he said, if I have cheated anyone, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. Not because of what Zacchaeus gave. was because he understood that Zacchaeus had had a heart change that he was not only not only making things right in here he was going to make things right out there see when you encounter Jesus Jesus challenges you not to just make things right with God but to make things right with people that we've wronged and remember Jesus didn't say oh no Zacchaeus that isn't necessary it's enough that you feel bad and that you said something no no no. he said today salvation has come to this house and it wasn't that he gave the stuff back, simple evidence that his heart had changed, and that's what God is interested in with you. That's why we confess. That's why we make restitution and add a fifth to it, because it's an example. It not, not only does it show the person that you are genuinely sorry, but it shows that something amazing has gone on inside of you. Okay? I wonder what would happen, like I said, if we started applying the biblical principle of pay it back plus 20% in our lives. You borrow someone's shirt and you ruin it. Shirt it costs 20 bucks, so you replace it and you give them an extra 4 bucks. Or you give them just 24 bucks. And they say, oh, no, 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 the shirt was only $20. And you say, no, I'm not interested in how much the shirt costs. I'm interested in making things right between us. Uh, Maybe you borrow 50 bucks and forget to pay it back. What most people do is hide. Never talk to a person again. Ignore the texts, ignore the phone calls. That's what, most, that's what most people do. But what if you were to pay them back 50 and an extra 10, 60 bucks? And they said, no, 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 you only borrowed 50 bucks. There's not need for 60. He goes, no, no, I'm not interested in the amount of money. I'm interested in making things right between us. What the Bible says to do in Numbers 5, you know, 5 through 7. It says to pay back and, and add 20%. What happened? When someone says, well, I don't need to do that. I've already asked God for forgiveness. What do I do to that person? God has forgiven me and that's all that matters. Well, the Bible will tell you a different story. You guys, it tells us to make things right, right with God and people. We just got done with an amazing worship set. We really did. But some of you all worship didn't happen for you. Did you know that? Like there's a block between you and God. And it happens Every Sunday probably anybody ever felt that just a block between you and god you can't you, just, you like you can't seem seem to break through this thing yeah i i get that well look what matthew five twenty three through 24 says jesus says this therefore if you're offering your gift at the altar that's what we, that's what we do in worship we offer our gifts at the altar that's what worship is And there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come offer your gift. Hmm. Did we just read that right? Did God just say that we are not able to give worship until things are right between between someone we've wronged? I believe so. See, I believe that this creditor-debtor relationship that we have all set up, these things that we need to confess and make restitution for, is actually blocking our relationship with God. It is blocking our worship. That's what the Bible says. We've wronged people. It stops our worship. And, and if you don't think that this is important, if you really don't, I want you to flip the script around. Let's just flip it around for a second. Who is it, whose confession do you most desire and least expect? Everybody's got, I know every, every one of you just got a picture of a person in your mind. Somebody who has done something probably terrible to you and feels no guilt about it whatsoever. Or at least you think. What would be your reaction if they actually did what the Bible says? What if they approached you and they took full responsibility for what they have done? and said, I'm going to do whatever it takes, to make it right. Here's what I owe you, here's 20%. And it may not be money, it may be time, it may, I don't know what it is. But how floored would you be? It would probably be life-changing for you, wouldn't it? If they were to approach with no ifs, ands, or buts, no, well, if you would have done this, I wouldn't have, n- none of that. I take full responsibility for the hurt I caused you. Here you go. Probably be life-changing, wouldn't it? You don't think power there. Amazing. Andy Stanley writes this. Part of walking with God is making the call you dread making. Setting up that appointment you know will be incredibly awkward. Writing that letter you should have written long ago means humbling yourself, owning up to your part of the problem, and doing everything within your power to make those, rela- that, those relationships right. And when you swallow your pride, you take the extra step, something remarkable happens. Guilt loses its foothold in your heart, and the power of sin is broken in your life. Wow. That's some good stuff. All of us have guilt in here because none of us are are perfect. Every one of us have creditor-debtor relationships that we've set up with people, maybe that we really care about. And guilt is manifesting itself. Parents, many of you all are guilt-parenting Guilt parenting is where where you feel like you owe your children something. You know you've taken something from them. Maybe you've gotten divorced, or maybe you lost your cool with them, and you have and you've been unfair to them, and you feel guilt, and so you spend your whole uh, parenting uh, uh, existence trying to make it up for them. You don't feel like you can discipline because well the reason he's being that way is because of me, and therefore I can't say anything, and and you're a complete uh, pushover as a parent because of guilt guilt is destroying your home okay you've got to get creditor debtor relationships out of your home those of you that are in marriage that have that have wronged your spouse and you're hiding from them believe me if that continues you're going to divorce court you have to take care of this now those of you that have friends that you've wronged and you and and you've and and you're not talking to them and they're not talking to you You've got to eliminate the creditor-debtor relationships because guilt is destroying our relationships. And if we're willing to take the hard steps of doing what the Bible says, be amazed at what God will do. God tells us to do this for a reason because this is what He wants. And he, when we do what He wants, He will work in ways that you can never ask or imagine just want you to, to imagine what could be, what would, what would happen, what life would be like if you were no longer hiding from people because of guilt. What would that be like? What if you were able to walk into your home free of burdens, free of chaos, and free of guilt, and free of, of all the toxicity, and just be a family? Imagine that invite the band come on back up guilt loses its foothold in your heart the power of sin is broken in your life when we do what god says to do so as as we uh kind of end this morning i want to ask you what's the extra 20 percent it's not enough just to make it up, it's the at, to add the 20%. A lot of us are, 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 are thinking, man, you know, I, I, I get that, but I have no idea. I, I, how do I give back what I don't have? How do I, how do I do this? How do I give back years? Maybe some of you fathers have been estranged from your children, and you've been out of their lives for three or four years. How do I give back three or four years? I want to invite you to spend some time in prayer. Ask the Heavenly Father for guidance. What is the extra 20%? What's the restitution plus the 20%? Um, maybe you guys are, uh, are, are having spousal problems or, or maybe you've recently gone through a divorce or you're, you, you've gone through a breakup and you've got a lot of bitterness in here or guilt over what you have done. What's the extra 20%? What is the extra that God wants you to do? To make things right with the other person, you guys—that is the question we have to ask. I would love for every person in here this week to do exactly what Andy Stanley said to do: to set up that awkward appointment, set up that meeting, write that letter, send, make that phone call. Whoever it is you've wronged, take full responsibility for it. Say hey, I'm going to make this right, and watch God break the power of sin. Let me pray for you, Heavenly Father, as, uh, as we have all done things that have destroyed people around us, as we have all taken for, for, for granted people and, 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 and done things that have hurt people, abused people or, or, or hurt people, Lord, that guilt is flowing around inside of us. And like a tree, it's starting to grow on us People see it. Everyone sees it. Maybe everybody sees it but us. Father, as I pray that you would give the courage to every person here and, in, and online to take the step doing what your word says to do. Father, as we do that, as we stay faithful to that, I pray that you would stay faithful and, and, uh, and, re- and restore that which Satan would love to destroy.